You're listening to the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast, where we focus on taking your passion and turning it into your profits. Join us for interviews with business experts, industry influencers, and more. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Cheer and Gymnastics Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today we are going to be talking about should you start a world's program. Now, before we get into the episode, I have got to tell you about something cool. It's actually something new that I haven't talked about before in the intro. So if you're someone who listens to the podcast all the time and you're like, look, I know to join the Facebook groups, you've heard it. But I'm going to tell you about something new and cool. If you are an aspiring gym owner or if you're getting ready to open your gym this year, we are launching a new product for gym owners that are just getting started. It's our Launch Our Gym program. It is a small group. We're only taking 10 like aspiring owners into this group. And you are going to be working directly with Danielle Johnston, one of the founding members of Next Generation Gym Owners. And you are going to be getting uh, all sorts of resources from her. And she is going to be giving you all of the things you need, all the steps you need to open your gym successfully and hit the ground running by making profits immediately, getting new athletes into your gym, promoting your program, and overall just crushing it. You guys, I got to tell you, this is a crazy smoking deal. When I was talking to Danielle about this, I was telling her she should be charging way more for this. Uh, The deal is absolutely insane. I would pay at least $1,000 a month to get coached by Danielle directly and get unfiltered access to her and her knowledge and her understanding. Like This is it's an amazing opportunity. So if you're going to open a gym, you've got to sign up for this program. Now, if you're looking for the Academy, if you already have your gym and you're looking for coaching, we got you there too. Uh, Absolutely. You can always reach out. You can sign up for a call uh, with Justin to learn more about the Academy. And I'm actually going to be doing an episode about what is the Academy a little bit later this month. So stay tuned for that. If you don't know what the Academy is, or if you think you're in the Academy, but you don't actually have coaching calls and access to all of our systems, then you are not actually in the academy or just in one of our Facebook groups. Anyways, let's get into it. Should you start a world's program? All right. So I am, I'm right here. I'm leaving for worlds in about 48 hours. I'm going to be headed to worlds with my world's team. I leave on Wednesday. We have our last showcase tomorrow night. Now I get there stupidly early compared to a lot of people. In fact, even my West Coast friends get there much later than I do. Uh, I like to arrive and get situated. I like to arrive and I like our athletes to arrive a little bit early, get used to the time change because historically we've had some really early morning performances and by getting there early, they get adjusted to waking up uh, on the Florida time. Now I'm a big believer that the time change only exists if you allow it to exist in your head, but Not everyone subscribes to that, even though I try to coach my athletes to it. So I'm headed to Worlds, and this is actually going to be the 13th, maybe the 14th time I'm heading to Worlds, something like that. Um, uh, 
12th, 13th, 14th, I can't even really remember, but I've been going to Worlds for a really long time. And I've been coaching Worlds level athletes since 2006. My first ever athlete to compete on a Worlds team um, competed in 2007. Um, and I was involved in coaching my first Worlds team in 2008 and 2009. I was an assistant coach for Dream, the Worlds team that I'm now the head coach of. Um, and that was actually the year I, I didn't go to Worlds. So I guess that doesn't count as going to Worlds because I was in Iraq uh, when they went to Worlds. But the next year, I came home from my deployment and I actually went straight to Worlds uh, after getting released from uh, my deployment. I went straight to Worlds. I didn't even go home to be with the team at Worlds. And that was my first actual trip to Worlds. Uh, And one of the things, and I've been coaching a world's team ever since. We have had a world's program ever since then. Uh, and one of the things I hear from owners and coaches all the time is that they want to start a world's program. And there's kind of this belief that you're not a good gym unless you have a world's athlete, or that is kind of the mark of a, uh, a talented program or a great gym is that you have a world's program. And the real question when you're looking at should you start a world's program or I want to start a world's program is why and should you? So in this episode, we're going to be diving into that and we're going to be going over some of the the questions that you should be asking in terms of whether or not you should launch a a world's program. And we're also going to be talking about some of the the challenges and the things that might come up uh, if you are getting ready to launch a world's team or if you already have a world's program or you've had a world's program, you can just listen along and commiserate with some of the challenges I'm going to talk about and maybe take some notes on some of the things that I am suggesting you do in the future to run an ongoing, thriving worlds program. So there's actually going to be four things we're going to talk about with this. Number one is, do you currently have the talent to create a successful team? And what kind of talent am I talking about when I talk about talent? Number two, do you have the processes to consistently create this talent and keep the program going and growing? Number three, is this going to be a value add to your program or is it going to be a high spend program for your gym? And number four, what challenges do world's teams create, especially if they're done wrong? So number one, getting into it, do you currently have the talent to create a successful team and what kind of talent am I talking about? Now, this is obviously the most simple question to answer or or to ask and the most obvious, but it's not always an easy answer. Now, especially with the advent of a non-tumbling division, that starts to get a little bit more nebulous of, well, if they can lift a human in the air and they can do level three stunts at the beginning of the season, then if I'm not teaching them tumbling and we stunt three times a week, I can get them to a level six point with a non-tumbling division. Now, I have some things I want to caution you on with that, but it makes it a little bit easier to get to talent. For the majority of this conversation, I am going to be uh, speaking to the tumbling divisions Uh, within worlds because that's what I have experience with. I have never coached a non-tumbling team. I have worked with non-tumbling teams, but I have never coached one. So I am going to be primarily focused on tumbling teams when it comes to worlds and giving you my feedback on that. So when you look at, do you currently have the talent to create a successful team and what kind of talent am I talking about? So I am talking about athletes that are mastering 
level six skills. And you need to take this into account that execution and mastery of the skill is different than being able to throw the skill. Okay. When you get a tuck at the beginning of the season, it is reasonable to choreograph that tuck into a routine. When you get a one to full at the beginning of the season or a running double full, the probability that that athlete is going to be consistently throwing that in the context of a routine, a minute and 55 seconds into the routine when you hit running tumbling is lower. And from a safety perspective, athletes really need to be mastering their level six skills and refining the execution of them to truly be successful at level six. Now, can you build a level six building team? Yeah, you absolutely can do it. And there are lots of programs that do. They start it out and they give it a shot, but they know that they're not going to be uh, as competitively successful. There are advantages and disadvantages to doing this. Yes, there is a point where you have to just kind of rip the Band-Aid off, but it also can be dangerous and can create a bad precedent to create a world's team in your gym that does not actually have the skills and the talent to compete. And one of the problems with this is, is it is very, very hard to put an athlete on a world's team and then take them off later. If you have an athlete that you put on a level six team and you go to take them off later and you are a just starting worlds program, you can anticipate that you will lose that athlete. Now, if you're okay with that, that's totally fine. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I have done it a number of times where I've had athletes who've lost skills or who have not made worlds the next year. And I have only ever once had an athlete stay in my program after that happened and then fight to come back and make level six the next year to go back and get all those skills that they needed to have, get them, master them and come back. So we are looking for athletes that are throwing double fulls in running tumbling and one to fulls and two to fulls in standing tumbling. And you need more than a majority of your team doing this for the varsity score sheet. You need a decent number of athletes and you need to look at those ratios and you need to make sure that you plan for two more than what you need for max participation. Why do I say this? Because athletes are going to pop passes and injuries will happen, especially on world's teams. I have never ever coached a world's team where we did not have some sort of an injury that impacted the season. Now, whether that I haven't had catastrophic injuries every single year, but we've had sprained ankles, we've had tweaked knees, we've had dislocated fingers, we've had all of the gamut because you're running a very, very uh, challenging routine that has a high probability of challenge and a high likelihood of injury, especially if you are just starting your program and your athletes haven't competed at that level before. Even the highest tier world's teams have injuries that happen. So you need to plan for at least two additional people when you're when you're making that decision of are we capable of going worlds and being competitive. Now you can decide to say that you don't need that right now. You're going to get there over time and, and that's okay. That's an approach, uh, but you want to be cautious with that. Now, I will full transparency tell you my world's program, 
I, I have to train my athletes. Like we, we do get athletes that come in at level four and even some level six. I've had, I had an athlete come from another program this year and I do not claim her tumbling skills as being something that were raised in our program. She was a gymnast. She competed with another program last year and they were very successful. Um, and she decided to make a shift this year and come over to our program. And she is a wonderful tumbler. Now, she added a lot of difficulty to our routine. We also have homegrown tumblers, kids who've been with us since they were six and seven years old. I knew that this season was going to be a rebuilding year. We started the season with three athletes throwing doubles on the floor, one of those being the athlete that came over to our gym. Now we have we open our routine at the end of the season with six double fulls, and we have more athletes that can throw them, but they're not consistent enough that I will put them in a routine because it is not safe. So you can build throughout the season. I am comfortable with that because I know that I have done it over the years and I know that I play the long game with my world's team and that we're not necessarily going out throwing every single difficulty skill at our first event. So we play we play the long game to get ready to compete at worlds by the end of the year, competing the best possible skills and continue to develop. So that also brings me to the next question is, do you have the processes to consistently create this talent and keep the program going? So if you had an influx of athletes that came in, maybe another gym closed or some sort of issue happened where the world's coach left or, or something occurred and you get an influx of world's caliber kids to your program, that's great. And I'm not saying you shouldn't host a world's program for them if you're capable of coaching it. But do you have the processes to keep that program going? Because it is sometimes hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Lots of gyms have done it. Lots of gyms have taken a step back from Worlds and then worked their way back to it. But it it comes with loss of athletes when you do that, typically speaking. So do you have the processes? Do you have the athletes feeding into that funnel to progress to your Worlds program? And what I mean by that is, do you have the tumbling foundation in your gym? Do you have the coaches who are progressing athletes? Do you have the, the levels of teams that are going to continue to progress kids up? One of the challenging, most challenging points we had was early on in Tori and I owning the gym when we had taken it over and we, own, we had a world's program. We had a small senior five. It wasn't six in those days. We had a small senior all-girl five. But we only had three teams in the gym. We had a level two, a level three, and a level five. And so the jump to throwing doubles from throwing tucks was massive. And it was very, very hard to consistently feed that gym, that program, that team, with athletes from the level three team. It was It was a real big challenge. So we were very heavily relying on athletes coming in from high school or from all around that didn't have a level six program in their gym or at their program. And so they came to us. I didn't like that model. And so we really spent a lot of time building that infrastructure up so we could consistently be building athletes within house to progress to that level. That was why we started creating a strong level four. And even then we've had some challenges because the jump from four to six is, is substantial. Um, but we have athletes that now are building skills throughout their career. So I have junior three kids that are mastering their level four skills and starting to work on their level five skills. So when they're on level four, they're working their level five and their level six skills. That's what they're working on gaining. 
Uh, and you have to build that infrastructure to consistently keep that program going. If you don't have that, it's going to ebb and flow. You cannot rely on people coming from other gyms to continue to bolster up your world's program. Will it happen? Yes. Especially if you're the only world's program in the area, or there's only a couple world's programs, there will always be one or two kids that come over to your gym with some skills. Um, sometimes those things will go great. Sometimes they will not. So you need to be prepared that athletes leaving a program sometimes are leaving a program, not because the program was the problem, but the athlete was the problem and they didn't like not being treated a particular way. So you just need to be prepared for that. I don't think that is a sustainable model to rely on new athletes coming into your gym from other programs. So you've got to make sure you've built that within your gym and you are prepared to consistently progress athletes. You have a plan to build them up to being elite level world's athletes. Next up is, is this going to be a value add to your program or a high spend? Now, this is where I think you really need to spend some time thinking. A lot of people want to create a world's program because they believe that that makes them look successful. They believe that that makes their gym successful. Um, this is much like someone buying a Mercedes to look rich, even though they are not rich. Um, now I'm not saying you're not successful, but I'm saying that just having the Mercedes doesn't mean that you're suddenly wealthy. Just like just having a world's team doesn't mean you run a successful program. In full honesty, I've seen world's programs out there that should not be competing at worlds. They should not be competing at that level. Um, they are pushing into something that they are, their athletes and their coaches are not prepared for, and they really shouldn't be there. So is this going to be a value add to your program? Well, number one, I've heard this said all over the industry, world's athletes don't pay or world's teams don't make you money. I call BS on that. Your world's athletes should be paying and they should be bringing in revenue to the gym. Now, world's athletes don't tend to take a lot of extra classes. They will take private lessons, but they don't talk, tend to take a lot of extra classes or do a lot of extra clinics unless you're bringing someone's specialty in. But they should absolutely be paying full price. This is the same thing of like, oh, well, boys don't bring in money. Well, why not? You should be charging boys full price to include your boys on world's teams. They should be paying to do cheerleading. Why? Because they are a male. Are they suddenly worth paying for? Now, the problem is, is that our industry has created a standard that, well, if I have a double full, then I should be, I should be scholarshiped because I'm good. And that's not, we, that should be a standard that we just do away with. If you're going to give any sort of financial assistance, it should be for need and not for skills. Now, that's what you have to assess. Is this going to be something that you are able to make revenue off of, or is this a program that you're going to be sponsoring a bunch of athletes to cheer at your gym so you now have the cred and you can post on your Instagram that you're a world's coach and you can post pictures in Florida at, at Orlando um, you know, at the World's Globe and doing all those things, and you can post those pictures giving the impression of success. And you're going to pay a whole bunch of money to do that. It's not worth it. It is not worth it to say you're a world's coach. It's not worth it to post all those photographs simply for the credibility of it. 
Now, if this is going to add revenue to your business, if it's going to add value to your business, if it gives athletes a reason to stay in your program and you are capable of progressing athletes to that level, then it's a value add. And I fully support you doing it. But if this is just you patting yourself on the back and bolstering your own ego, then it's not a good move. Or if it's just bolstering athletes' egos, they're not ready. You don't want to see them leave for another gym. So you go, we're going to make a level six team. I've seen this happen where gyms have been like, oh, well, I have two kids that have been with me forever and they have double fulls, but everyone else on my team has tucks, but we're going to compete level six. So these kids don't leave to another gym. Look, you have to come to terms with the fact that people are not going to stay with you forever. It's okay. They're not marrying you. They are a client and sometimes clients leave. It hurts. It sucks. I don't like it either, but you have to come to terms with it. I have had numerous athletes leave my program to go to more high tier worlds programs and gone on to win worlds. And I'm happy for them. Good for them. That's amazing. Those programs have the resources. They have the athletes coming into their gym with the talent. I've had athletes who've cheered on TGLC. I've had athletes who've cleared, cheered on Cheetahs and Claw 7. Um, I've had athletes who've cheered on California All-Stars. I've had athletes go to all, uh, all these amazing programs. Cheer Extreme, wonderful programs with very talented world's programs. And these were great athletes and they've gone on to win. And yes, I could say, oh, that stings because... I want to win. And if you keep leaving, then I can't win. And there is some validity to that, but I need to continue to build the program up to a point where we can win, where we can be competitive. And I get it's, you know, it's a give and take. If they leave, then you can't build it. But people are going to leave. People are going to go places. And instead of allowing that to crush you every single time, be proud of that kid, celebrate that kid, you know, be proud of their win. Um, be proud of the part of that you had in their journey, helping them go and achieve that success. And I told you, I've had athletes who've cheered in all these programs and I've talked to them. I've said, what is the main difference between training here and training at this program? Uh, one of my athletes who cheered on TGLC, I asked him this specifically, what's the difference? And he said, honestly, it's not that different other than everyone already has all the skills. Like, in order to make the team, you have to be throwing all of the tumbling skills. You have to already be able to stunt. So they're not taking the gymnast who has a double full and teaching that person how to base because they've never based before and they need that double full. They're taking people who have all of those skills when they go to make TGLC. Like they cut that program down. And I don't think there's any, I'm not saying anything negative about them. They have the people trying out for their program so they can take 42 boys after tryouts and trim that down to 18 and then divide those other boys up amongst other world's teams within their gym. They can do that. If you don't have that capability, you're going to have to train those athletes. So anyways, I've kind of digressed, but you have to determine whether or not it's going to be a value add to your program. Is it going to improve your reputation or is it going to hurt your reputation? Having a bad world's team can deter people from coming to your gym. So you don't necessarily want to have a world's team that goes out there and is a hot mess or, or athletes are getting injured. Like that's not a good look. So you have to determine what it's going to be for you. And if it's going to be a high spend and low return, then just don't do it. It's just not worth it. Wait, 
build the infrastructure, make sure you have the talent, make sure you have the coaches, make sure you have the process to consistently develop it and feed that program, and then create your world's program. So some of the other challenges that world's teams create, especially if done wrong. Well, number one, a lot of people will create a world's program and then they will make that the top tier team in the gym and then they get everything. They get all the cutest outfits and they end up spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to make this world's team look really, really good. And then they neglect their other teams that got them to the point of being able to have a world's team. So although there is value in having prestige in your world's program, you want to be cautious about overspending and over emphasizing your world's program because people want to feel valued. And when they feel that the only thing you value is your world's program, they're going to be more likely to not stay because they don't feel important. And you guys, I'm speaking to you from experience. We spent years and years and years rebuilding the culture of our gym to not feel like the only thing we cared about was Worlds, that the only program that mattered was the Worlds program. And now I do think you should do things to make it prestigious to be on that team. For instance, our Worlds team is the only team in the gym that has their team name on their chest. Um, they're the only team that does that. Our world's team, every two years, they get to debut the next season's uniform at their world showcase. So they like get some perks without having a bajillion of them. Other challenges. Um, world's athletes are notorious for not wanting to pay money. Um, so you need to make sure that you are staying on top of tuition. Uh, number three, if you're running some sort of an open team uh, or an international team, a huge challenge, and I would just caution you against, is people go, well, they're adults, so their time is harder to get, um, so we're going to practice less. One, don't do that. If you're going to run a team, run a team. Have your standards. It's the best thing to possibly do. Number two, they say, well, they're adults. They don't, they don't have as much money, so I'm going to make this really, really affordable. Don't do that. Why, why are you making it more affordable? If they're adults, then they have jobs and then they can be responsible and budget to pay their bills. So I personally do not and have not ever discounted my world's program. In fact, it costs more to be in my world's program to include when we had an open team and we had adults on the team. It was not any cheaper. We didn't practice any less. Have your standard and maintain your standard. Uh, another issue that can come up with world's teams is the world's athletes get a kind of high and mighty attitude in the gym that they don't have to follow the rules and they're special and they don't have to attend classes and they can come in and tumble whatever they want. And because they're the world's kids, everyone needs to kind of revolve around them because they are the world. And that is also not a good look and it's going to create animosity within your gym. So you need to make sure if you're starting a world's program, you're thinking about these things early on and you're taking steps to circumvent these challenges before they rear up. So one of the things to build toward a world's caliber program is a well-trained coach. I've mentioned it a couple of times. You need to have trained athletes, but you also need well-trained coaches and they need to understand proper progressions. Coaching is absolutely critical when it comes to 
building a world's program. You need to have good coaches and not just a good world's coach, but you need good coaches all along the way. Your level one, your level two, your level three, your level four, your tumbling coaches, your level five coaches, all of those people need to be dialed in and they need to understand proper progressions. When you get those novice, tiny kids coming in the gym, those are your future world champions. So those are the kids that are building to that and they need to be coached correctly. Now, this is one of the challenges is how do you get great coaches? And the answer is you've got to train them. No one's born being a great coach. And just because you had great coaches or you were a great athlete doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. So you have to train great coaches. And one of the best things you guys can do to start that journey for your amazing coaches is you can come, you should come to our conference in June, the 23rd through the 25th. We have two coaches tracks going on. So two different skill building, progression building coaches tracks going on both days of conference. And between Ramel, uh, uh, who is the tumbling director at World Cup, uh, Adam Forte from Forte Spirit Solutions, Jason Larkins from the Let's Talk Cheer podcast and American Cheer, Morton Berg from cheergyms.com, we have got some amazing skills training going at this conference, and you are not going to want to miss it. So if you are in the process and you've decided we can build a world's program or we want, we're not ready yet, but we want to, to build to a world's program, then you've got to get to conference and get your coaches trained, bring everyone on your staff. I get that it's going to be expensive to fly people to Texas. I totally understand that it is an expense, but the real question is by spending that amount of money, how much money is that going to make you in the long run? And that is really what you have to assess when you assess whether or not going to a conference is worth it. Does going to that conference cost you money or does in the long run, are you investing money to make 3x, 4x, 5x on that investment later on down the road? So the determination of whether or not you should start a world's program is a challenging one. It's something you're going to have to determine within your own program. I've been coaching worlds for a really long time. And we used to joke, um, my good friend Cher, uh, who coached my world's team with me for a long time, um, we used to always joke when people would start say announce they were starting a world's program that we should send them a bottle of vodka. Um, I will tell you that coaching a world's team is a different level of stress. Um, I've, I coach summit teams, uh, and, or other highly competitive teams and worlds just feels different. Um, you're not a world's team if you don't go to worlds. So if you don't get a world's bid, I talked about defining what success looks like that. I mean, success is you have to get a world's bid. And then there is a whole nother level of stress at worlds. Like it is different. Even if you've been to summit it does not feel the same going to Summit as it does going to Worlds. It is a whole different caliber. You are walking around like you are competing against the gyms that everyone looks at and goes, oh my gosh, they are the golden standard. You are going to have to perform after, if you go to NCA, you may have to perform right after the arena is packed and everyone is singing all the words to Top Gun or Cheer Athletics or Cheer Extremes routine right before you. And then you're going to go out with your team of 15 and the crowd is going to be silent, just watching your routine, even though you're hitting zero, you're going to have to fight those battles. And it, it feels different. The same thing happens at worlds. You guys, I have, I've competed in the large co-ed division. I have competed in the same division as TGLC and steel and those teams had gone out after them or gone out before them when it is packed. And Everyone is in there and 
you have to win the crowd. The crowd is not already on your side and it is, it's a challenge. It's a whole different level of stress. So you have to make sure that you are ready for that. But if you really want to do it, then go for it. Go for that goal. Don't sell yourself short, but make sure you have the processes in place and you've thought through it enough that you are going to be able to deliver and deliver year over year over year as you build that program. So if you're thinking about starting a world's program, then I want you to go through these four questions and figure them out, right? Do you have the talent? Do you have the processes in place? Is it going to be a value add? What challenges might you encounter? And go through those yourself and then go through those with your co-owners, with your co-coaches, with your coaches that are wanting to start the program. Go through all of these things and determine what your steps should be. Is it the right time? Is it the wrong time? And then make the best possible decision for your business and for your athletes. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You are When you are listening to it, I am likely already on my way to Worlds or at Worlds. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. You can always reach me on Facebook. It's just Dan Cotton. Look for the guy in a suit, bald head, smiling. Uh, if you would like to email me, it is dan at nextgenowners.com. Uh, and I would love to chat with you and help you strategize on how to start a world's program within your gym. If you're looking for another great cheer podcast, you've got to check out the Let's Talk Cheer podcast with Jason Larkins. He is the best and his podcast is amazing. And with that, we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click